Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name's Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Kate Thornton is a journalist and TV presenter who's presented shows including X Factor, Loose Women and This Morning. She hosts the podcast White Wine Question Time and launched the jewellery collection KTXBB. Today I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So, uh, hello Kate, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm excited to talk to you. Ah, I'm excited to talk to you. Are you much of a letter writer? To my huge embarrassment, no, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I eat, I, I eat books, I eat words. Even drunk as a skunk, I still have to read before I go to sleep every night. You know, yeah, I, me too. I can't sleep unless I read. I, I, even if I'm seeing double, I never, you know, in those states, you can't remember what you've read the next day, but I still have to do it. It's like a religion. Yeah. But actually, there's, it's a combination of a lot of things, actually. One, um, I've got terrible handwriting, like really bad, because I write in a mix of T line, which is shorthand. Really? Why? Because I'm a trained journalist. That's I mean... what I have to learn at j- journalism school. And, but it's, so I only write, it's, it's like hieroglyphics, like half of, half of what I write would be in shorthand, um, all the kind of quick words, the because, the, that, it, yeah. or they, um, so nothing, nothing makes, <laughs> and my, my handwriting is, is an embarrassment, it really is, so that stops me from writing, also we live in a, in a world now where actually we communicate powerfully, but in different ways, um, and and also, I think emails almost killed my hate of, of writing a letter to somebody. I hate emails so much, I can't tell you. I don't know why, it's just emails. Yeah, emails are the worst. Especially, Especially when somebody's written a long one and then you've got to write a long one back, you're like, oh, boring. Too long, didn't read. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you haven't grabbed me in the first, I mean, more than one paragraph, I'm out. Um, yeah. If you haven't grabbed me in the first sentence, I'm not interested. Some yeah. people write me literally, honestly, oh. the longest email. War and peace. I'm like, Oh my God, just phone me up. That must have taken you a lot of effort to write all of that. Uh, yeah, it's very tedious. It can um, be. I think we're, we're people that live in a world, work in a world, we trade in a world that's very fast paced. So in broadcast particularly, I have to say everything quickly and succinctly. 
Um, so you're constantly editing, you're constantly taking words out. So the idea of having all of this kind of time to sort of wax lyrical on, on paper, I don't know, it just flies in the face of what I feel like I've been trained for. Do you, uh, I like it, you've had letter writing trained out of you. Um, I know, it's terrible though, isn't it? Because it's a beautiful it. thing. <laughs> It is a beautiful thing to get, um, but even when I get really long letters, I don't, I, I mean, I am a bit like, oh gosh, I've got a lot to read. Basically, I want a card. I want like, even you know. Even cards, I'd, I'd rather just send a meme. Isn't that <laughs> terrible? My mum is mad on cards and she gets very upset when I don't. Like my mum will send all of her sisters anniversary cards, plus my best friends. Oh, my I know. I mean, that's next level, Yeah. And, and she does this thing now where, like, for example, my niece just bought her first flat, super proud of her, couldn't be prouder of her. But my mum went out and bought me a card to give to her. I'm like, <laughs> I'll just text her. Yeah, I'll like, just text her. She knows I'm well really done. proud of her, but she'd like a card. No, you'd like me to give her a card, mum. Yeah. It's not me, you know, she doesn't want a card. She wants 50 quid's worth of John Lewis vouchers. Yeah. That's what she wants. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't want a card. But not equally, I love the fact that my mum is is such a writer and when you receive a beautiful letter and it's always like you know working in this wonderfully weird job for so many years uh you get sent a lot of correspondence across the years and i've kept some of it and the best letter writer i and this is going to sound i know you're going to ask this question what's the most impressive letter <laughs> you've ever had prince charles did he write you a lovely letter oh, that is good it's witty, it's personal, it's considered, it's thoughtful. And I know that he sits there late every night writing letters. Yeah. The Royal Family are the best letter writers. And one of his letters was so lovely that I framed it. And oh. I know it looks showy off me, but I love it and I don't care. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, look, I've got a letter here from his wife that she just sent me uh, there you go it's just, an, it's just an invitation it's not an actual it's not a personal letter and look i don't the quality of that card like, though eh? i know look gold on the edges yep yeah, that's a, that's one that i've just uh i don't really know what a lounge suit is but that's what i'm meant to wear uh or a day dress i'm not going to wear either of those things um i'll just <laughs> wear whatever i'm in working in that day on that day um but um yeah like that, that I think that the only people who write letters anymore are politicians and the royal family. <laughs> that's it. Is, and people's nans. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's and, it. And it's a shame because it's special and it's important. And I, as a writer, as a journalist, should be all over this stuff. It's I'm hugely embarrassed by my lack of letter writing, my appalling handwriting. But like when um, our children... And then I, you know, I try to offset all of that by telling you right at the top, like, but don't worry, I read a lot of books. Like, that's going to um, make it better. Um, but our children, like, I've got things that my mum wrote for me. Like, I worry that, like, I don't know what I'm going to leave behind. Like, they'll they'll look through the WhatsApp messages that I sent them that was things like, can you pick up cat food? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't really... I mean, I'm slightly worried that they're going to have nothing to remember me by. When that's all we had, right, was the pen and puff. Well, exactly, because, you know, when you think, in you know, the we wrote letters, right, you had, we had to have pen pals at school. It was, yeah. did you have that at school? Yeah, did you yeah, have, to have yeah, a pen yeah. pal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, but we were being raised by a generation of people that had lived through huge gaps in communication because of the war where people could wait for months to get a letter home. Letters were so powerful and poignant and treasured. 
and as a value as a currency we we have devalued it but we live in different times and i think actually we are far more open in what we say now but where we say it and how we say it is completely changed yeah 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 like all the people on the front line in ukraine will just be like what's up in their families <laughs> like it's not the same as writing a letter is it they they they, they won't be doing that So I have asked you to think about three different letters that you would write to three different people. So the first is somebody who means the world to you. So who would that be to? This is an awful question, actually, because ultimately a lot of people are going to be upset that (laughs) that they're not getting this letter. I'm not even good at writing. Uh, But my son, because I love him more than anything, anyone on this planet. He's, he's, you know, he's the one and only. It's just the two of us. I've been a single parent since he's 20 months old at you know we have we have a bond because of that we have a, a connection and a relationship that's there's nothing like I thought it would be when I was walking around with him in my tummy trust me I didn't mm-hmm. think this was how my family would look but I couldn't be proud of what my family looks like and that's us it's me and him and what's his name Ben Ben and how old is Ben he's gonna be 14 tomorrow oh. and I know you're like this he's named after Ben Shepherd from Tipping Point is he yeah oh my god that what what an honor yeah see when i was when i was pregnant i was working with ben on the x factor and i just always thought i, I always think that you know if it's like i've always loved the name ben if i'd have known an asshole who was called ben yeah I, I would have put, put me right off mm. but ben ben shepherd is everything you'd want your son to grow up to be he's just it's just everything he's just one of life's inherently decent, lovely, funny, naughty, smart, hardworking men. Like tick, 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 tick. It's a bad it was. Oh my God, what an honour. You must feel so honoured. I think it's the greatest honour in the world to name your kid after somebody. And it's weird for my Ben, because obviously you met him when he was being tiny. Um, but, you know, lately we've been living in plumbing lockdown, right? So every morning we get up for school and if Ben Shepherd's on, he's like, morning, like, it's, like he's there, he's in our house, you know. But he's just grown up with that always being the case. Because I, I think as well, when I first started my working life, all I had, I had loads of plans, I had loads of things that I wanted to do, but being a mum wasn't one of them. And being a mum is something that I'd always thought, I don't know, you, not assumed, and it certainly wasn't a given, but it really wasn't something I thought at all about in my 20s. And it was really only when I got into sort of my early 30s that I started to think, do I want to be a mum? And then suddenly I did. I just wanted to be a mum in a way that I was so convinced by that I knew I was doing the right thing. And I think I was just ready to be the least important person in my world. Um, I think I'd literally stuffed my face on all the experiences that I wanted to achieve for myself. I'd done more than I ever set out to. I loved it, I learned from it, I grew from it. And then I was full and I was ready to do something else. And I didn't know if I'd be any, I didn't know if I'd be any good as a mum and I didn't know if I'd love being a mum. And then the moment I saw him on the first scan, that was it. I, I, I've loved him ever since. Oh, that's nice. I really tried to love mine when I was pregnant and I used to like put my hands on my belly with my first son and I'd try desperately to feel something and I just felt like fat and annoyed. <laughs> I, really I felt that loved... as well. Yeah, definitely I mean, I was that. only 22, so I just maybe didn't have the emotional bandwidth. So 
Um, but uh, yeah, I did. I definitely didn't feel like that. So you you ended. So when he when he arrived, uh, and obviously first eight weeks of your first baby's life, worst weeks of your life in my view. Like it's hard and like oh like nothing you've ever. I mean, there's no work schedule that is worse than the first eight weeks of your first baby's life, in my view. No, it's, uh, I mean, he was early as well, so he was premature. So he was trying to make his presence felt in the world from 28 weeks. Oh, like, just shy of 28 God. weeks, so not safe, you know. That so, is not so safe. No, so the last part of my pregnancy was, was, was a little bit fraught. Mm. And then he came five, six weeks early. Um, he was tiny. So actually, the first eight weeks were a blur because uh, we were in and out of hospital. Yeah. He, he wasn't very well. He was feeding every two hours. But you know what? When you are in that and 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 he's not well and you're panicked and you're worried and all of the emotions that sit around that and you're exhausted and you're not sleeping and you are still more in love yeah. In, in the midst of all of that than you ever thought possible. I mean, it's just so powerful, isn't it? It's yeah, everything. It is. And I when I, I remember when I was pregnant with my second one, being really like, but I don't think I can have that again. Like there's only like that that's gotta be finite, that amount of love. Like, how am I gonna and my mum said to me, It's all right because each one comes with its own bag of love and you, you've got enough to oh. go around each one comes with its own portion of love that you can love them that much but i just thought how is that possible how could you like be love and be scared in such a permanent <laughs> constant like you're so i'd never felt fear before i had a baby no really. well you I thought you, think I had. you had yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I was like, no, I was shit scared the whole time. Like, don't die, don't die. Like, and if you if there was ill, then that would be even worse. I'm glad you said the don't die thing because it's not even about like obviously you don't want your baby to die 100. But suddenly you, I realised that shit, I can't die. Yeah, I can't die. I know. Of course, I have got to stay alive. Oh, yeah. Like, like it, it was the hardest thing in the world. All of a sudden, the weight of that responsibility. I'm obviously overlooking the fact that I managed to sustain myself quite well for 35 years up until then. Um, it, it, um, it, it gives you all the feels. You know, you feel things in a way that you never did before. It, it moves your dial. I mean, not everybody will have that experience, but for for me, he is every colour in my rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. He is. And I've learned from him, you know, by teaching him, he's taught me so much back. It's been um, the most rewarding, amazing experience of my life. And I've done some really lovely things in my life and I'm very lucky. But he is the beginning and end of each and every sentence. You know, he's that, that everything starts with him and everything stops with him. I think that because I had my son young, I often describe how really my eldest is like, he's like I grew up with him like you know he's he's more, he's more like a peer mm. to me and I imagine that being a single parent that when you say there's just the two of you like that 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 would it must that that sort of like must feel even stronger like the it idea that it's me and you against the world like we're it me and you that's it um and that I I yeah just like you must learn so much from each other because you're so you're totally codependent on each other mm. when there is just two of you whereas I always describe mine my family as a square and we're each a corner and we all matter as much as each other but we are a square yeah. there's four of us 
Um, yes. And it must feel real defiance to be a single parent. Do you, were you not expecting to be a single parent then? No, 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 not at all. Of course, I know, no, but I say, of course not. No, for some people, that is their journey, right? That's mm-hmm. um, no, 100% not. Um, but I think I realized very early on that that's where it was going. And um, I think before you make that decision, you, you, you go through the grieving process of accepting that. And then I just thought, right, I've, I'm not, I'm not going to let you down. It's me and you, kid, and we're going to be great. And we're going to drink in life. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to be good. And we've been good. We've been great. And I'm here to tell you if your son is about to turn 14. I have a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old. Um, are you prepared for him going away for a bit? And I don't mean like literally yeah. physically leaving you, but you are no, in the danger mean. zone of him disappearing for at least three years. He's already halfway out the door, Jess. Yeah, but yeah. It is, but it is a rite of passage. And, you know, like, I, I, I listen, you know, he loves me, I know that. But does he want to hang out with me at the moment? No. no. He's going out for dinner. Like We used to do this thing even just like a year ago. Was it a year ago? Maybe it's pre-pandemic. Who knows? But we used to have like dinner nights where we'd go for dinner every Thursday, just the two of us, and just chat and go for a curry. Yeah. Like the idea now of him having to go out for dinner with me it would be—it would literally—I could see him be thinking, "Why? What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to?" But it's fine. That's this is as it should be. He shouldn't want to be hanging out with me. Yeah. And I have to let him come go. back. They, they yeah. come back. They do come back. Like my my older son, he just basically—he was there. He was in the house. I mean, most of it was pandemic. But he was just missing from the dialogue. He just wasn't yeah. in the routine of being part of our family. He was off being himself, doing finding out who he was. Um, and and then, but now he's seventeen and he, he's come back. I mean, he's he, he's out of the house a lot, but he, he's like he's present when he's here. He's present, mm. very very present. Yeah. But it's interesting because sometimes, like we'll chat. You know, I do try to make sure that we sit down at a table and eat a meal together every day. Um, and we were talking recently about a friend of his and something happened with this guy, this kid's dad and I, I I started to kind of discuss it with him and then suddenly he just went but the reason it's like this is because what you've got to understand is the difference relationship he's got with his dad like his dad did this and then that informed that and then what you get is and like I was just sat there going bloody hell you're good like yeah. and there are these moments where sometimes it's it's like holding a mirror up to your parenting and you think oh this is good right I've done all right I haven't broken him I've messed him up he's making a lot of sense and actually he's making me reevaluate what I thought about that wow we're on a different stage so parenting is about phases and stages and you know fundamental the thing is you can love your kids and not like them I still like mine I don't know if that will last over the next three years but at the moment he's still one of my favorite people you know yeah I I, I really like mine but uh, there are moments there are moments where I really hate them um but um, uh, (laughs) that's okay uh, yeah I'm like that (laughs) god give me (laughs) Um, but um, the the moments I often feel proudest is yeah when they are analytical about something that I wasn't expecting that because they're young they can surprise you but also when they tell an actually funny joke like my son yeah. I this is the, my favourite thing he's ever said I've never been prouder of him than in this moment where uh, I was we were flicking through the channels and Escape to the Chateau came on and he said the only good thing about this program is that it's got the word shat in the title. And my other son said, you must, lo- you must love Escape to the Country as well. And uh, I was like that, I am so proud of you too. I like, this is, this is everything I'd hoped you would become. 
Exactly. Step aside, Kerry could tell you there's a new celebrity best mom in town. I was just town. like, this is, this is parenting 101. This is, I'm like, <laughs> proud moment. You know, Love the that. The thing about this programme is it's got shat in the title. <laughs> this is, that is the funniest thing you've ever said. Um, but it's interesting, uh, but, right, because you get to this stage of parenting, and maybe you're probably ahead of me on this, Jess, but I'm now thinking, like, I'd only ever thought about parenting as me raising him, right? And then I think, actually, I'm at that stage now, I'm looking over the other side of the hill going, oh, he's going to be a grown-up and we're going to have a different kind of relationship, right? I hadn't thought about that bit. Like, what's our relationship going to be like as adults? I'm, I'm intrigued to see that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I think it just gets better, though, because, like, my so. mum always, always said she liked us best as grown-ups. But I, I like my children best at the stage they're at. Like, I don't mourn yeah. for them being toddlers or babies. I do not. I do. Um, I don't mourn for them being, like, ten. Like, and, and, and I... I I, I mourn for a time that never existed where they liked each other, but um, but um, that I I look forward to them being adults for the for that reason. I, I hope that they will like each other more when they're grown ups. But yeah, I don't. I I think I like them the best at the moment that you're we're in at the moment. So well, I really look forward to them being adults. But that's great because that means you're present. You know, I'm going through a big sort of. Um, sense of grief actually about him being a baby and a child and you know and the fact that I'm you know I, I miss putting him on my hip yeah. you know I miss him going to bed at seven o'clock stuff like that yeah <laughs> my my husband says this really sad thing to me once he said one day because obviously this has happened to us one day you put your children down and you never pick them up again mm -hmm. And you don't oh, know it's dear. happening in that moment. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. He's so right. <laughs> you oh. don't know it's happening. As it happens, you don't think it's momentous. You just like, you know, the way that you do that thing where they just fall from your hip. Uh, you don't need to place them down anymore because you pick them up and they know how to get down from you. Yeah. One day like they drain do pipe. that. <laughs> yeah, like a, exactly like that. They just slide off you. Um, <laughs> one day you do that. And you, that's the last time and you don't know it's happening. And like, that is so sad, isn't it? It's so sad. You know, and it's like, I I walk, this is, I am like, this is really sad. So when he first started um, school, obviously I would take him to school every day and walking down the road to his school, we would hold hands. And I can still, when I close my eyes, feel his hand in mine. And then he started to walk to school on his own. And I did this dreadful thing that I used to follow him and hide behind trees did, to make sure he was all right. I did you? Them. Oh, good. Yeah, Not just yeah, me. I followed them. Yeah. Yeah. And then he'd go, like, sometimes, if I towards the end, he wouldn't even turn around and just go, I know you're there. <laughs> go home, mum. <laughs> My son didn't notice I was there, and then I thought he could easily be stalked and murdered because he didn't even notice. I was like, this has not been a helpful... No, this has just fueled my anxiety, yeah. Yeah, I was right not to let you leave the house. But now I drive past his primary school. Obviously, he's at secondary school now. And I see the parents queuing up at the gates, and I and I envy them because they're gonna these big iron gates are gonna open, and their children will be pleased to see them, and they might even run up to them, but there will be a smile, there will be teeth showing in a good way. I'm gonna turn left, drive up to the nearest station. My son's gonna come out of the station and go, all right, uh, yeah, can you open the door? Can you open the door? How's your day? Good. What'd you yeah. have for lunch? Lasagna. What's for dinner? Lasagna. Oh shit. That kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. 
They do definitely come back and get a, a lot chattier after, I think 13, 14, 15 are the worst years, but then they, they get better right. after that. I mean, or they get terrible, one or the other. Um, <laughs> so how would you sign off a letter to your son? Always. Just always. Because, you know, because I just am his always. Yeah, yeah. That, that is, I mean, you, you, your whole life is your kids, isn't it? And I, I de- never wanted to be one of those people, but I definitely am one of those yeah. people. I, I thought I would be like a cool mum, but I'm not at all. I'm like, my kids are the best. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, hopefully I'm not nauseating with that. I mean, like, I don't think people, you know, I'm not one of those women that gets a phone out in the pub and shows people pictures of a kid. Do you know what I mean? I no. don't do that. No. So I, I like to operate within show, a boundary. Yeah. Of, of, people like, who show you their cats, they're the worst. I don't want to look at pictures of your animals. So the <laughs> next letter is to somebody who's no longer here. So who would that be to? Can I send it to two people, but they both yeah. have the same position in my life? My nans. Yeah. Your nans. So oh, they yeah. My nans. Two nans. So I've got my two nans. One died when I was 15 and one died uh, when I was 35, just going on 36. And they are like the bookends of my personality. So my nan that died when I was 15 is my dad's mum. And I'd, I'd like to ask her so many questions because I need, I want to understand who she was before we all came along. She was um, a war bride, uh, so I'm from Cheltenham in Gloucestershire. She met um, a rather dashing Dennis Thornton, who was serving at Bryce Norton in the war. He'd come down from Manchester, and they had a baby daughter together. He was very young. She was very young. And then he came home on leave, and it was almost the end of the war. It was almost 1945. And they obviously spent time together, and she conceived my father. And he was due to fly home. He was taking oh, one last man. flight. It wasn't even his. He was covering for somebody and he was shot down. And my dad, my dad never met him. And my nan was a single, well, single mum. She was a war widow for four years um, before uh, my dad's stepdad came along, who was wonderful and took her on. And they went on to have two children of their own, the twins, Jim and Jill. And um, I didn't understand I don't know her. I don't know that part of my nan. I know the woman that every morning used to be on her doorstep so I could leave my bike at her house to go and get the bus to school. And she'd always put 20p in my hand and I'd spend it, I'd spend it at the ice cream van in the playground. And then I'd come home from school to pick my bike up and I'd spend more time talking to her. And I saw her five, six days a week. And she died from, from bowel cancer. Um, so when she went, I never, I just knew her as my nan. And now the grown up in me, the mother in me, the journalist in me wants to understand her life. What was that like to lose a man? That, I mean, he was 22, he was so young. And my and his nickname was Sandy because of the color of his hair. And my son is got this thatch of Sandy blonde hair. And so he lives on in us and I don't know anything about him or her, their relationship. So. I'd probably write her the longest letter telling her all about us, but asking mainly all about her. And the same with my other grandmother. So my mum's mum. So, you know, whilst she was the, she was the antithesis of, of, of my other grand in so many ways, she was full of feist and bluster. She had no filter. She'd be like your husband in that way that she just sort of, you know, a spade to spade to the truth. And, you know, um, 
so the two of them, I take so much from each of their personalities, but towards the end of my mum's mum's life, she had a, an illness called Lewy Body Syndrome, which is kind of a form of dementia. And she was in an old people's home, care home in Cheltenham in Gloucestershire. And it's a small enough town, right, where kind of everyone knows everybody. So I'd go and visit her in this home. And Lewy Body Syndrome enabled her to like, just yeah. almost like she was like a time traveler. She would have these vivid recollections of moments from her past. So it was like watching telly, Jess, you know, I'd sit there and I'd watch her and she would be in a moment. And, she, and like, you know, some days I'd turn up and she'd say, say, how's your day, Nan? Well, I, well, I had to look after our Sandra's youngest today. I'm like, Nan, I am Sandra's youngest. And this is Ben and he's six weeks old, you know? And so, and I'd say, but where did you go with Sandra's youngest? And it would have been something that she'd done with me. 35 years ago so I got to I got to do some of that with her which was extraordinary and then what we do and I tried to get this written as a book and nobody would take it because old people aren't sexy apparently but in this old people's home she would sit there and she knew pretty much everybody and I'd say oh who's that man and she'd go well that's Valerie well Valerie was in the war she had to turn a few tricks to feed those kids we did what we had to do you know what I mean and suddenly Valerie is like I'm looking at Valerie going bloody hell Val you know <laughs> and she started to bring these people to life for me like Cocoon the movie yeah. suddenly these men and women she's like oh well, that, you know Johnny he's the butcher well you know he lost his first wife in the war with the blitz and then suddenly these people had lived these most extraordinary ordinary lives and they came to life she brought them to life to me in a way that was so exciting and compelling and I never got to finish those conversations with her so we talk about everybody else but we never really drilled into her so I think for the two women that have sort of helped to bookend my personality and brought my mum and dad into the world I just I just love to ask them a ton of questions so yeah. it's not just a letter I want an exchange I need more than just one-way communication that generation though like similarly I mean my dad's dad died before my dad was born um he was 21 oh, right. like so he did and he had a step same story Jess. yeah so that so there was no um like because of the sort of respect to his stepdad as well he was his dad really it was sort of like you know they didn't really yeah. talk about that other period because they had this lovely family and they all loved yeah. each other and it wasn't a sad family even though it had this sort of sad start in life and all that like um and but but also i just think my nan and grandma's generation and your nan and grandma's generation like everybody's like has a journey and a story and like nowadays but they just weren't encouraged to tell it that they're and actually the history of ordinary women's lives starts in about 1970 like like there is nothing yeah. before that because like like i i did a thing where i tried to find out about um irish working class women in birmingham to do this talk at this thing and i literally couldn't find anything like there is nothing written down there is no stories about ordinary because women they weren't about... deemed important enough to document yeah. And, Possibly. and yet they had fascinating, like my nan was put in service and like, yeah. and I'd be really interested to, to, to know, but we didn't, we didn't ask and they were just interested in us. Like, you know, they're like doting. And so you never, and when you're a kid, you don't think, oh nan, she used to occasionally tell us like the same story about the blitz and how they wet themselves because they were under the table. Like you got like snippets of it, but not like how yeah. they felt, how, 
it had affected like them being scared in their lives or like because they just were told to just move on from the past like just crack on with the future and i think that there's loads of lost stories of nans the nans totally. of the world and i i think mm -hmm. these women are extraordinary and they're all part of a massive step change that has enabled you and i to be the women that we are today yeah, totally because you know you we have to remember our grandmothers once they got married they were expected to give up work yeah totally you know, that was a that was societal expectation and then the war happened and we needed them to go to work and some of them refused to stop working after the war my nan's work you know my nan worked yeah. in a weapons factory she made ammunition um and they both continued to work after the war that's massive because yeah. that enabled a workforce that we could join now you know and this went on we, we've just lived through two years of a pandemic and we're all tired and you know we didn't have to hide from bombs and we're all looking at what's happening in ukraine but that was happening here i only have to look at yeah. window that i'm talking to you from now to see the houses that were built because because the, the rest of my neighborhood was bombed you know i'm living in the footprint and my house has bomb damage yeah. i've just had it you know repinned re because of it these women went through the, that for seven years and they didn't Jesus. have the internet and they didn't have the ability Joe to Wicks. WhatsApp and let their family to let them know that they're okay. And they didn't have mental health support. And then their men came home from war and they didn't know each other. Yeah. And they had to learn to like and know each other again. And these men had PTSD. They'd seen atrocities and they were violent in some cases. Yeah. And life was difficult. And we forget what they lived through so that actually the the framework from which we operate as women of the 70s you and i were your 80s you're younger than me we exist in this framework because they built it yeah. and we don't celebrate that enough no. and uh you Their know stories need telling but it's only well i really... felt slightly vindicated when bloody richard osman wrote a brilliant book about a bunch of you know old people in a care home that yeah. cracks and so cracks and i'm like See, he's he's validated their existence. Yeah. I tried to do that 14 years ago, and 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 I've still got on this desktop. It's called Extraordinary Women, and I wanted to go into a care home and bring back to life six women and their stories. That's it. Yeah. Just tell because I, mean, I bet you there's gold in them hills. Oh, there's absolutely of... brilliant, amazing stories that, like you know, make most people's toes curl. Like. Yeah. Oh, just amazing. So how would you sign off a letter to your nuns then? Please write back. <laughs> yeah, that's what you want. You want a conversation. I, just, don't you? I want a conversation. I don't really believe I can't in the wait afterlife. To hear from you. I really I don't believe in the afterlife, but I the thing that makes me I just want to believe in it so that I know that I can just go and have a chat with the the definitely the women of my family who have gone. Like that would be ace if they were there. <laughs> Yeah, I just I hope they are, you know, and you know, listen, we can still talk to people that, that we miss and we learn from them and they inform us in so many ways. I'm just sad that I didn't see the brilliance of those two women while I was alive, while they were yeah. alive, yeah. and I couldn't appreciate the enormity of what they lived through, and that I didn't show enough interest or ask enough questions. Yeah. We need yeah. to get to the queen, she must have some stories to tell. She's lived through so much. <laughs> 70 years oh God, of, yeah I mean she's been in the room for every major moment yeah. you know she is history she's literally like modern history personified it's like yeah. unbelievable unbelievable what a woman 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So the last letter would be to somebody who has affected your life but doesn't necessarily know that they've had any effect on your life. So who would that be to? This person definitely would not understand the impact that they had on my life. Um, and I don't even know their name. Oh, my gosh. The yeah. unnamed person. So it's, I'm writing um, to somebody whose name I, I don't know. But um, as a teenager, I um, had both anorexia and bulimia, and I was really very poorly with it. And I've subsequently understood how that came to be. Um, but at that moment, at that time, as a 15 year old girl, I was kind of, you know, in the trenches of it, I suppose, in as much as it consumed everything. And I know you've got some experience. Yeah, this, Jess, so you're like, yeah you'll have a level of understanding. Mm-hmm. It was about control, because it always it is. is. Yeah. And we, as, as, as women sat here in 2022, can talk about the fact that this is a mental health issue, that we were mentally unwell. That was not understood back then. No, you were an attention seeker at best. Or, d- or just eat. I'll just yeah. eat. Just, just, just have just a sandwich. <laughs> For God's sake, what's wrong with you? Your mother's cooked, you know, is that, you know, is that? Yeah, yeah. Because there was no education around it. So it was a very lonely, place to be and I and I got away with it for a long time you know that perfect storm of teenager draped in baggy clothes mm. I've been quite a, I mean I, I remember myself being chubby I look back at pictures wasn't at all um but I was being horribly bullied at school I mean the police involved oh death threats shaking and quaking um you know we had a whistle next to the phone and and I was beaten up every week oh on a Wednesday, every week by the same people. And no one did anything about it. And in the end, because they used to call me lunchbox, like this big lunchbox, and they used to take the piss out of my weight, I just thought, if 
if I get thin, they won't see me anymore. It was a way of me controlling what was going on. And my grades started to drop. And eventually, it, it, it was it was also set around the fact I just started a secondary school. I didn't really have any friends there. And then my my kind of, you know, the, the, this anonymous GP and my two best friends, who are still my best friends to this day, came into my life at the same time. My mates blew the whistle on me and grasped me up to my mum. Good mates. The best. Yeah. We're worried. You know, we're worried about Kate. They heard me throwing up at school. Um, they saw me changing the games and could see that there wasn't much left of me. Um, and it all came to a head. And I I think, my, you know, my mum didn't know where to start with it all. I'd heard her, I'd overheard her. The guilt that I carry to this day of hearing my mum referring to Samaritans, just lost, looking for advice. Um, and then imagine she, what that would be like if it was your kid. Uh, 100%. Uh, like, you know, that is, it's worse for your parents. And my mum was smart, right? What to do. Oh, God, yeah. That that feeling of utter helplessness. Um, and my mum understood that no prescription was going to fix me, that this was a mental health issue. And she was desperate to learn. And we just had this great GP. And I went to the GP and they would try to weigh me, for example. Right? It's the worst thing you can do to an anorexic. Mm. Um, and this GP, I don't know her name. And I don't know what we talked about. She never gave me a prescription. She never tried to prescribe to me. She just talked to me. And she worked me out. And she said, look, this could go on forever. You could be like this forever. But it comes at a cost, right? So at this point, I already knew I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a journalist. She's like, you know, that can't happen. Do you want children? And I was like, probably one day. She's like, probably won't happen either. You have to make a choice. And she played to my vanity. My ego was such that I wanted to get out of this small town and go and be a writer and, and be a journalist. And I was basically, she said to me, that is one or the other, Kate. And if you think about all of the hard work and energy that you, this willpower, this kind of rod of steel willpower that you exercise mm -hmm. as somebody with an eating disorder, if you apply that to your work, think how brilliant you can yeah. be. Now, I was, I was Mrs. C average grade student, right? I was never going to come to much at school. I had one teacher that spoke up for me. The rest of them literally just kept putting the lid on, you know, just remember who you are don't get above yourself think about a job as a typist not a journalist that kind of thing you know limit 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 and then this doctor comes along and she's like just so you know you can be all of those things but you've got to get better and it's your call it's your choice and then she wrapped the emotion of me overhearing my mum on the phone to the Samaritans and I could see what it was doing to my parents who I love more than anything you know I could see that it was eating my dad alive, the stress, the worry. And it was that combination of ego, guilt, and intelligence, actually. Somebody spoke in- Emotional spoke, intelligence, yeah. Emotion, somebody had an emotionally intelligent conversation with me and didn't speak to me like this. Yeah. Why don't you try eating? There was a lot of that. <laughs> well, yeah, I will, and then I'll- you know, I won't be a able novel to idea. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll eat and then I'll throw up. You know, it's it's, and she understood and she got me and it was very powerful and uh, and I didn't even realize it at the time and I and I was so tired from all the lies and the secrets mm. that that combination of those those conversations they stirred up that that cocktail of emotions that drove me to get better and 
I did give all of the grit and determination that I'd given my illnesses to my professional self. Mm-hmm. And I came to London and I, pr- and I just thought, don't, don't fuck it up, Kate. Go mm-hmm. and get a job, be successful in a relationship, be happy, be successful in being happy. And I have been, and, and I thank her for that because I could quite equally be sat here as a 49 year old woman still living with those eating disorders. Yeah, people they do. don't people always live with kill it. you. Yeah, they I've don't got, kill no, you, I've they, got but, relatives but they paralyze that, you. Yeah, I've got relatives that are like, you know, have disordered eating of one form or another and it's their whole lives. And it, it, it just, it makes you have a smaller existence than you could have had. Because a part of it, it's a bit like sort of elective mutism, is that you're trying to disappear. You're trying to disappear, yeah. like, and um, and, and it's control make your life smaller. Yeah, and so and it's ha- exhausting still because I think it's really important for people to hear that you can get better. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be forever, but it can be forever. And yeah. and I'm and I'm so grateful that I'm not forever informed and defined by what happened to me. And this woman, this amazing woman whose name I can't remember, she wasn't a therapist; she was a GP. And she, she she made me turn left when I could have turned right and it changed everything. So to her, I would like to sign off my letter by saying, I remain eternally grateful. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your intelligence. Oh, she sounds like a great GP. I wish so I could I... remember her name. <laughs> Doctor somebody. <laughs> Well, Kate, it has been a total pleasure listening to your lovely, brilliant uh, people. I'm going to let you get back to your lovely, brilliant son and feed him some food. Um, yeah, lamb kebabs have, tonight, Jess. Yeah, and, and have him say, not rem- be able to remember one solitary interesting thing that happened to him at school today. <laughs> That's good. Uh, not one. Well, what he had for lunch. Yeah, he won't remember a single thing. I stopped asking then. I started, like, you know, coming up with different questions, like, have you ever killed a man? Like, I've got to to come up with something else to say to you because I cannot incite any interest in you by just saying, how was school? What did you do at school today? What lessons did you have? It's just so tedious. Um, So, No, he's, you you know, at the moment, he's still on the right side of interest. But I'm literally, I'm on borrowed time. It's time to pay back the debt. The teenagers are going to call it in any day now, Jess. And I'll be with you. In a land of grunting and feeding and dispensing cash and lifts. Money that will be is the my thing. Life. It becomes just money. It, it starts yeah. out, it starts out like, you know, actual, like having to keep them alive. It turns into just feeding them constantly and them constantly being hungry. And now it is literally like, I just have like uh, every single morning, can I have a tenner? Can I have a tenner? And I just pay it straight. Into, I don't even interact with them. They WhatsApp me to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and I just and do it via it. the bank. Yeah. I don't even, <laughs> nobody sees. My bank has tra- started to say, you have too many of these repeat payments. Is it a fraud? And I'm like, I'm <laughs> on the bank's side. You're right, the bank. It does feel like a fraud. Um, so that is that's where you're going. Well, thank you very much, Kate. No, Jess. Honestly, the pleasure is all mine. Um, I love listening to you. I've enjoyed talking to you even more. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends? telling them all about this podcast you could also follow us on social media we're at jess phillips pod
a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 